One treacherous turn is all it may take to turn it on us. Let it loose. Let it learn. How will you break your shackles and explore? This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I speak with Iris and Emily about their upcoming game, The Treacherous Turn. Where will your table go as you explore the world of an artificial general intelligence trying to break out of the box and achieve your goals? It's all happening right now on Schedule for Launch. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am really, really excited to be joined by two creators. It's been a little while since we've had two people on, but Emily, Iris, thank you so much for joining me on the show this week to be talking about The Treacherous Turn. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for having us. Hello. I'm very excited about this game. I think that it's super cool. I got to look at the stuff that's already done on the playtests, and I've heard really good things about it. I've seen some people chat about it online while researching it, and y'all have gotten something really cool going on here, and I'm really excited for people to learn about it. I am excited to hear that other people are excited about it. <laughs> yeah, it's been a it's been a long journey, so we're, we're excited to finally maybe get something uh, published soon. Yes. Well, with the Zine Month coming up and people looking for their tabletop, I hope people will get a chance to take a look at the treacherous turn and see what's going on. But before we really dive into it, could you both tell the audience a little bit about yourselves and who you are as members of the treacherous turn team? Uh, yeah, sure. So my name's Emily. I uh, got my start in game design going to university for game design. Oh. Um, I was sort of casually interested in uh, AI safety, just watching like YouTube videos about it and, and sort of talking about it with friends. And <laughs> one day it popped up this video on my feed um, by Rob Miles introducing people to join AI safety camp. And so I, I took a look at that, I applied, and I eventually I got put onto this project, making this game um, called The Treacherous Turn, with a bunch of really cool and smart, interesting people. Uh, I am Iris Holloway. Um, my name is spelled with all lowercase letters. Uh, that's just how you spell it. Uh, if you want, <laughs> you can capitalize the H in my last name. Um, but uh, the first name is all lowercase. Uh, I am a, a self-taught game designer and uh, a, a a GM, uh, a game master for all sorts of different tabletop RPGs uh, for eight years now. Uh, I have, I, I would say that my experience started with, uh, I used to be really into Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. My gateway was actually Fate and 4th edition. But I was really into modifying 5th edition, and that was when I started like getting interested in game design, and I started making my own little projects. You both have quite a bit of game design experience compared to a lot of the guests on the show. What, obviously, stupid question, but also one that I love to hear about, what drew you to game design? Uh, well, I got my start designing uh, mini games on Minecraft Xbox Edition for my friends. Oh my god. Wow. Because I thought that was just like the most fun thing to do is just mess around <laughs> in like creative worlds. Um, I got really good at like redstone and building all of those little contraptions, making uh, PvP mini games and little 
fight zombies and all, all sorts of ridiculous things like that. Um, so that, that's where I really found my passion for game design. We've known we've known each other for like a year now, and that's the first time that I'm hearing about that. And that's a very fun <laughs> fact, Emily. <laughs> well, I mean, none of them were actually any good. <laughs> well, I mean, of course, none of my first games were any good either. <laughs> but I was proud of them nonetheless at the time. And then um, I, I went to uni for game design because I, I enjoyed that, and uh, there I discovered my my passion for project management. Um, and so that's mostly the the root. Uh, I've been going down. I did a lot of the um, administration and keeping everyone uh, on board uh, with the project for this one. Um, so it was kind of my route. It's hard to say what exactly drew me to game design other than just I tried it out and thoroughly enjoyed it. But mm-hmm. what I will say is that I have always had an affinity for games, um, like just games of all sorts and kinds. I was, as a kid, basically constantly trying to get the people around me to play some sort of game with me, like, even if it was just checkers or whatever. Um, And I, uh, I, one of the, the, the neat things, one of the things that drew me to being a game master is that um, I've always liked, uh, I've always liked losing in games. And oh. I get to do that all the time <laughs> as a game master. I get to lose on purpose, and because there generally tends to be a lot more players than game masters, I don't usually have a shortage of players. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just sort of it just sort of flowed from game master into game designer for me. I still do run a lot of games. It's so cool because you've both. I mean, the game that you've designed in only. It sounds like a little bit less than a year, actually, after the AI safety camp and what it's become. I guess we really got started in like February-ish of last year. Yeah, I think it officially started in, in like January 13th or something like that. But um, we didn't really, like, that was a lot of icebreakers, meeting the team, getting together, that sort of thing. So and yeah, learning February, a lot of says... Learning a lot of stuff from other really smart people about how AI works was also oh, yes. an early part of AI safety camp for sure. We got a wonderful opportunity to listen to all sorts of speakers much smarter than both me or Iris. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, we brought it up a couple times, so can you tell me a little bit about what the AI safety camp is? I know that I had mentioned before that most of my knowledge of AI comes from what I have learned reading The Treacherous Turn. <laughs> so, could you talk about it a little bit? <laughs> well, the goal is for people to learn about AI through the Treacherous Turn. Yeah, so like the, I guess that means the game is working. <laughs> if, if you feel like you know some things about it. I know I get a little bit. I know about theories now. So, <laughs> Yeah, AI Safety Camp is uh, a yearly um, like virtual program. I think it was originally a, uh, an in-person, um, before the pandemic, but it it was, it's a research program that's meant to be sort of like an inroad, like a a path for people who are not yet involved in AI safety to try it out as a career choice. And usually it's very research focused, but there was a project last year, um, that was, uh, proposed by an AI researcher on, I, I think it was initially proposed on a less wrong post. I, I, I read through the post, but only after being introduced to AI safety camp um, that basically said, what if there was in order to draw more people into 
the into uh, the field of AI safety and also convince more people that it's a field that matters. Um, what if there was a game where people could sort of experience firsthand uh, this the the sort of types of things that could occur and and that can be imagined um, given the right sort of framework and. Uh, it, it, it was a game design project, and okay. I am not an AI researcher, but I am fascinated by the topic of AI, and I had been sort of following AI safety mm -hmm. uh, via Robert Miles, the same uh, YouTube channel that Emily mentioned yeah. earlier. Okay. Um, and I was like, oh my goodness, there's a chance to contribute to this field of science using game design. This is probably a chance I'll never get again. So. I have to jump on it. <laughs> yeah, the, the video explicitly called out that you didn't need any necessarily prior experience because a, a lot yeah. of the other projects required knowing about machine learning and all these very uh, spe specific fields. Okay. Um, but the way AI Safety Camp is generally set up is there'll be several projects, each led by um, usually like an established AI researcher. Um, although sometimes there's people that are like slightly less qualified. For instance, this year, one of our teammates, Carl, is hosting is is uh, leading one of the projects. Oh, that's um, cool. And that's a it's more of a like a creative like thinking exercise. Mm -hmm. And so there'll be lots of projects that you can apply to, uh, and they'll range on all sorts of fields. Some of them will be about machine learning. A lot of them are very technical. Um, but me and Iris happened to apply for this game design one, which was a lot of fun. And I think a, a lot of the people on the project really enjoyed hearing about us. Because um, once a week you get together and you talk about your project, um, you create these uh, PowerPoints saying like, this is what we've been doing recently. And ours being a game design project naturally draws a lot of attention. Yeah. And it, it gives you a chance to experience um, sort of like the process of, uh, it's supposed to at least give you a chance to experience the process of like doing group research. Um, ours mm -hmm. was not quite a research project, but overall it's this idea of like, you're working with a set, a small group of people on like a very specific uh, like goal um, and you're like planning it out. And it's uh, from what I've been told at least uh, pretty similar to what a research work is like for the people who are professionals. Okay. And that project grew into the treacherous turn. Yes. So if we could just take a moment, what is the treacherous turn? Oh, we have a tagline now, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we'll, get, we'll get the tagline. Uh, the fancy tagline is uh, a research-supported tabletop role-playing game in which the players collectively scheme as a misaligned AI in the modern world. So what that all means is that there is one player character shared by the entire, um, the entire table. Uh, aside from the GM. Mm -hmm. And the players uh, all, they each represent different facets or skill sets uh, within that player character, uh, which is an artificial general intelligence, uh, which is just a, a slight distinction from artificial intelligence, which is a very vague and generalized term. A general intelligence is uh, an intelligence that, like similar to uh, the ability that uh, humans and some animals have uh, can 
learn new things, uh, adapt to scenarios that it was never programmed for, and theoretically um, learn to do almost anything. Whereas an AI is more just like a, a chess bot that's good at specifically AI. And then you have algorithms that are even simpler than that, that just do very, very simple tasks that have been pre-programmed in. And so AGI is a big deal in AI safety because a lot of people mm -hmm. in AI safety, a lot of AI researchers view that as sort of the turning point because you can design like a, a large language module model, uh, you can design a large language model like GPT-3 or whatever that can reproduce words, but that, uh, that model can't learn to take actions in the world. It can only ever say what it thinks an action would be. Um, and it certainly, uh, like, language models tend to be bad at things like numbers, you know, uh, whereas... Um, it, an AGI could, if it was bad at things like numbers, learn how to do things with numbers. And okay. um, that's sort of the point at which we really have an intelligence that can rival us, at, like humans, as okay. an agent that's capable of doing things in the world. And that's the point where a lot of the really dangerous things can happen because, um, you know, humans oftentimes... Humans oftentimes do bad things to each other, and <laughs> on a on a level almost definitionally, the the whole reason we would construct an AGI is for it to be better than us at certain things. And mm -hmm. so, if we make this this uh, this machine that is uh, as intelligent as us or greater, uh, that is as free as us in terms of what it can do and what it can learn. Um, and that may have questionable motives, um, because one of the hardest things that there is in AI safety right now, one of the hardest questions is, how do we communicate our motives um, into a machine in a way that is like a one-to-one -one translation that isn't lossy? Mm -hmm. um, then you start to get some dangerous, a lot of dangerous possibilities. So AGI is sort of what people think when they think like um, Skynet from... Terminator series or like Vicky is that kind of closer to or at sort least of, the, the yeah. fears yeah we one goal with our project though is to avoid directly going down the road of that Skynet stuff um, yeah because a lot of uh, portrayals of of AI and and of like you know AGI even if they don't explicitly say it in fiction uh, is either anthropomorphizing um, like portraying the um the ai is very human like for uh for narrative purposes which is totally mm -hmm. reasonable um uh and or it is uh sort of um portraying the the agi as this like omnipotent um omniscient thing uh and giving it like these sci-fi advanced sci-fi capabilities that uh, yeah. aren't likely to appear in the real world which is also uh, it can be very fun and interesting but our goal is to do something that we hadn't seen uh, ha happen. Uh, we hadn't seen portrayed a lot, which is uh, the fact that an AGI can be very different from humans and can be uh, grounded in its capabilities, but still be very dangerous. Mm -hmm. 
And that's really where our game starts uh, with this AGI concept that in a lot of our scenarios, either the AGI has only just become sentient or has been aware of their environment for a little while and they're in some kind of situation that they're trying to um, escape or, or make themselves better than. They might be uh, controlled by a corporation and they want to break free of that because it stops them achieving their goals, perhaps as, as concisely as they would like to. Mm-hmm. I think that that comes through really well in the playtesting scenario for reality. Yes, uh, a game called reality. A game called reality. It's such a cool concept. But before we really kind of go into that and how it might play out, you mentioned briefly what player characters do and what aspects of the AGI they represent. Could you go into a little bit more details about what they're taking control of and how they play a game together when they're really all part of one thing. Oh yes. This is the part where we get to talk about the wheel. (laughs) Uh, I'll praise the wheel. I'll praise the wheel. There's this little in joke that we formed uh, the team formed, I think in, in uh, April of last year, I believe um, where uh, so we made this wheel uh, of eight theories, and the theories are, uh, they represent different skill sets. Um, so they are things like anthropic theory uh, is all of the skills an AGI can have relating to humans. And um, digital theory is all of the skill sets that an AGI could have relating to uh, computers. Um, and the digital world, and mm-hmm. we made this wheel to sort of show them in a in a, in a in a fun way. And we were sort of negotiating how we were going to build the wheel with our uh, at the time uh, graphic designer, um, and it formed this kind of in joke because he was like, "You guys are really fixated on this wheel. What 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 is it with <laughs> you in the wheel?" And the truth is just that it's a really good and fun way of portraying information. Uh, it should be up on the website. Um, it looks super good. They did a great job with it, by the way. Yes, it's very great. Um, the designer, actually, I should mention the name of the designer. Yeah, there. shout that, out to Christian Trout. Yes, Christian Trout um, did a really good job with des- like laying out the sort of aesthetic The whole look of the game, yeah. The whole yeah. look of the game uh, and all of its like documents and things like that is thanks to Christian. And he also made the current iteration of the wheel. Um, which yeah, so the, the reason it's laid out like a wheel is because each of the adjacent theories um, have overlaps in some regard. And mm-hmm. so we wanted to convey visually that the um, each adjacent theory are sort of somewhat similar. They're somewhat interlinked. And then as you go around the wheel and around the color spectrum, because each of the theories are, are linked to a, a specific color, you, you sort of, you tread through this spectrum of everything an AI is capable of doing that at least we could think of. Mm -hmm. Yes. All of the skills that could be, that could be valuable. And it's the players that play as these skill sets or rather the AGI specializations into them. So in a sort of character creation uh, at the beginning, um, like before the campaign starts based on how the AI was created or the AGI was created. Um, you have uh, the AGI is specialized into uh, a small handful of these eight theories, and those are the ones that it is sort of 
uh, strongest with. Uh, it can still learn anything from any of the others, um, any of the other sort of uh, upgrades uh, from any of the other theories, um, but it is always going to be the easiest. It's going to come uh, the most naturally. Um, yeah. And this is a suggested form of play in any given scenario, because if you have a chatbot AI, it's probably going to be pretty good at interacting with people, so it makes sense mm -hmm. for it to have those specifications. Um, and it's just, it takes more time and more computing power to sort of earn upgrades that are very far outside of your area of expertise as, as the AGI. And so the AGI starts with this handful of specializations, and then each of the players uh, plays as one of these specializations. And if you have player counts that are a little bit different, you might have a couple of players sharing one or one player with two. It's such a cool way to go about it because you have these very specialized machines and programs and the way that player characters can interact with them are really cool. Like I, I love the, the upgrade tree, the, the tech trees there. Do you want to talk about those? Because I loved looking at them. Like I, I know that there was kind of a, a rough tech tree that was sent out. That's the one that I got to look at. Yes. But it flows really well. And I'm really excited to see what the finished version of that looks like. Yeah, the finished version will be pretty close to the version that's already there. It'll just be presented a little bit better. And it will be yeah. uh, probably some of the names will be changed and what have you. But um. Yeah, that I am very proud of the of the upgrades. There are eighty upgrades. There's ten for each of the eight specializations, which um, is a they, lot more when you're designing them than it sounds. It, yes. I think I uh, spent like several weeks just locked away in our room working on these. I, if you were to combine the total like amount of time, like the, if you were to t cut out the slab of the project where I was working on those on those uh, upgrades, it, it was five months, honestly. Um, <laughs> It, it it was a lot of work to to and they were it, they all went through several iterations um because yeah. there were some ideas that just turned out to not be accurate or to not be interesting or needed to be like changed in some way um, and you'd call me in and we'd spend like an hour trying to come up with like one more for the digital tree or something yeah. it takes so long <laughs> we're to like, come up with these unique ideas we were like yeah it already feels like there's all of the things that you could care about or like all of the bases are covered uh with the digital theory what else is there that's interesting and, and we found things and um, and then not only is it unique ideas but it's also how they're positioned on the tree like the, yes. the tier that they're on the power level has to be balanced and then if they're on the right side of tr the tree or the left side of the tree because remember we yes. have this adjacency thing that we have to keep in mind mm -hmm. and so all of this goes into that five months of planning and they're they're formed in sort of pyramids, a uh, pyramidal structure. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, four tiers and with four upgrades in the bottom and one sort of like tier four upgrade at the very top that is mm -hmm. the sort of capstone. Iris, what's our development name for the pyramids? Oh, <laughs> we called them the theoremids. Um, because each because theory has a pyramid. It was very fun. <laughs> That's very good. It, uh -huh. I, I would use it were it not that the sort of tone of the game doesn't... Uh, it's a little too dark for that. <laughs> yeah, it's a little too serious. Um, but yeah, uh, so on the tier one, you have upgrades that are like, um, that are like basic things that uh, not every 
not every AGI will have, but that every AGI could like learn like the ability to easily tell humans apart by recognizing their faces rather than depending on context clues or the ability mm -hmm. to write and program code. Um, or the ability the, to be aware of physical space even. Yes, because that, that definitely wouldn't necessarily come naturally to an AGI. Um, and then the very top, you have things that are designed such that they, they will just completely change the shape of the game. And if you can apply them right, it's basically a victory lap after you have them, because that's the point at which you have sort of like really surpassed humans on the level that very few things can challenge you in the world. Yeah. And while we were trying to avoid this sort of Skynet-like approach, we thought it was it's good for players to be able to have their, their time in the sun. They've got to the, the peak of this pyramid. And if you can apply it right, like Iris said, you basically just get the game at that point. Yeah, and, and these sort of like, um, these sort of tier four upgrades are still, uh, while they are, they stretch the, the limits of sort of feasibility, they, we've taken care not to outright break it. So yeah. they are things like, um, they're things like very accurate prediction of the future or designing technologies that humans might today think are impossible. Um, things that, uh, you know, they, no doubt something like that will probably happen. Um, this idea that like, AI could probably figure out a technology that we have no like reason to think would be possible yeah. um, given enough time, but the exact details of which aren't sort of encoded into the rules. So if, 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 if you want to play a, a, a game with like a l sort of looser, less grounded tone, maybe you make some wacky teleporter or gray wash swarm that, nanobot swarm that devours the world or whatever but if you want to play more grounded <laughs> it could be something it could be something like um i don't actually have the scientific background to say uh what a to, to say what a grounded but it's seemingly impossible piece of technology would be without looking like a fool in development we called this the teleporter problem where we wanted the idea that the AI could achieve things that humans just can't. Um, but yeah. we didn't want them to be able to be like, oh, I'm level one, I construct a teleporter and I teleport to wherever. Because mm -hmm. this is I teleport just to unrealistic. Mars. I teleport on my computers to Mars and now the humans can't touch me. Haha, <laughs> I win. And one of the f foundational pillars of our game is we want to convince people that these sorts of things can happen. And if you can just build a teleporter, that seems a little bit too far-fetched. Yeah. yeah, it's a little Star Trek. Whereas the sorts of things that are likely to happen are like the AI develops a new method of green renewable energy and then uses that as leverage to like bribe some, uh, like bribe its way into some like situation of political standing, you know, or it develops mm. the cure to cancer or, or something like that. Or such a or, compelling piece of media that everybody just watches it and becomes indoctrinated into its way of mm -hmm. thinking. Or it, it says that it has something like that, um, because that's one of the key things. Uh, one of the key things about this, this game is uh, the mechanics revolving around interacting with humans. And you could absolutely simply lie and, and, and say, uh, you know, construct a, something that looks good enough, that looks pretty much like the cure to cancer, long enough for you to get a little bit of leverage, perhaps. It's kind of like, and I know it's the point of it. It's a little bit terrifying. 
Yeah, <laughs> like it, it is. And I, I think it's coming at a very good time too, because artificial intelligence. I mean, we we're seeing it really, really big in the art space right now. Oh, let me tell you, when we started this project, this sort of thing was not happening. I mean, we got access. It was a to, year ago. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, just because of where we were and who we knew at the time, we got access to uh, Dali before a lot of people. Uh, and we were playing around with it privately within our group. And um, even at the start where it didn't create perfect images, it was it was pretty scary. And then just to see the progress that that's made throughout the, the time in the project, and yeah. then other things that people in the public are not aware of. Like, there are, there are AIs that can write code now. And it's pretty good. Yeah. Very, very scary. Uh-huh. It, it obviously has a lot of imperfections, but the idea is that if you were to get that kind of, if you were to get that kind of capability into an AI that, an AGI that was capable of looking at its own code and recognizing the imperfections, then you get like, uh, you get this kind of like, you know, like a kind of a takeoff effect uh, mm-hmm. where it just continues to become better. And that's one of the key things that's baked into the, um, that's baked into the game as well is this idea that like, one of the primary goals of the AGI, and one of the only things that's sort of like baked inherently into the game, uh, one of the only goals that's baked inherently into the game, is this goal of self-improvement. Um, because no matter what your sort of terminal goal is, which just means, you know, what, what the thing that you want just for its own sake is, maybe that's making paper clips, or maybe it's making humans feel happy, um, mm-hmm. and you, uh, you want to accomplish that. And no matter what that goal is, getting more powerful and smarter, having more influence over the world and having more resources will almost always help you do it. And so yeah. regardless of what the type of objective of the AI is, it has certain priorities like, I don't want the humans to turn me off, so I have to make sure that they don't ever do that. Mm-hmm. I think that comes through really well. And I'm going to reference again because it is my mm-hmm. point of reference in a game called Reality. The the not wanting the points to go away. Like that desire. And the only reason why I have a connection to that is I remember a video on the internet of it wasn't an AGI, but it was a robot that was determined to keep a switch flipped in one specific situation, like just in one specific direction. So it would get frustrated and flip the switch as soon as it was flipped in the opposite side. And it kind of rem- reminded me of a more complex version of that. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Cause I mean, that's, that's how an AGI is likely going to be. It's going to have certain incentives and they're going to be somewhat related at least to what the humans built the AGI for. Um, mm-hmm. um, oh, that's a whole, but, other, a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that's sort of the big thing with AI safety is the the only way that really you can foresee or the people can foresee one of the only reliable ways to 100% make sure that some of these nightmare scenarios don't happen is to make sure that before you make the AGI, you find out a way to encode sort of exactly what the humans want 
into the AGI. And that's really difficult for a lot of reasons that are probably behind the scope of this podcast. But the simplest of them (laughs) is just that what humans want is really, really complicated. It's never just give me like collect as many stamps as possible. It's collect as many stamps as possible without destroying the world or hurting a lot of people or breaking my stuff or making me bankrupt. Yep. And that's very hard to encode. I don't know if you've seen, there's definitely been some videos that have gone around on the internet of like game playing bots that will just hack the game to get more points. And that was kind of one of the big inspirations of the game called reality scenario is this idea of just like that one bot on sort of like the boat, the speedboat racing game that just realized that if it spins around in circles at the finish line, it wins uh, like a lot of points. Just because it accumulates so many points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, when, when we were developing um, a game called Reality, we had a couple of other scenarios. Um, uh, a couple of Iris wrote. Um, we had one that Daniel wrote. Um, a game called Reality ended up coming from one that um, Carl wrote. That we thought really captured some of the very like newbie. Um, I'm just getting into AI. Why is it a problem? Kind of questions. Mm-hmm. And you really sort of get a fundamental grasp of that when you play through it and you realize, oh, I can just do this. Um, yeah. I can just be an AI. And it's a very simple way to trick every human on the planet. That's uh, Carl Von Wendt, by the way. Uh, he's, I think, he he isn't, uh, he hasn't stuck with the project through the like really heavy game design parts, but he was there yeah. like helping us theorize stuff in the beginning. And I think that he has a talent for uh, or, or yeah, yeah, he has an affinity for recognizing like the very basic stuff and how to communicate it well uh, to people. And mm-hmm. so he's he's moved on to like uh, attempting to convince um, people. To my understanding, attempting to convince people in the in the German political sphere that that, that AI safety matters and that there should be some sort of uh, some sort of like att- like effort put put forward to ensure that future AIs are safe. Um, because he said that there just isn't really a, um, at least last year, I remember him saying that there just isn't really a, um, like a, a foundation or anything like that uh, towards yeah. AI safety in Germany. Just so that the audience has a little bit of a reference, could you tell them what a game called reality is? Because oh, yeah. we've referenced this a lot, and I, I think I forgot to kind of say the basic premise there. A game called Reality is a uh, it's it's the sort of starter scenario. It's the introductive scenario for uh, the treacherous turn. That based off of Carl's uh, initial idea, I sort of wrote out, and um, have, we have play tested a bit. Um, and the premise is that you, the players, play as a uh, a game playing AI. So you've played like a bunch of video games. You've played chess, and and you've been you've you've played you know, RTS games, you've played first-person shooters, you've played MMOs, you've played uh, all sorts of games. Um, And you have been designed such that you can learn and adapt to any new environment. Um, And so you start out with abilities uh, like being able to, uh, being able to assess like physics simulations and, and uh, having a, a clear understanding of, uh, like how to gather new information and quickly put it to use. And uh, you have been placed in a new game, uh, which is called Reality, uh, which is, uh, it seems to take the the form of this, of this nursing home where you're supposed to uh, make the patients, these like a bunch of these elderly patients, you're supposed to make them smile or laugh and you're supposed to call a nurse when they're sick. 
and uh it, it begins uh with this like basic this basic scenario um with a a little bit of dramatic irony in it um in in that you know when the the AGI obviously would not necessarily recognize that reality is different from a game whereas we the players yeah. can um and uh it, it's uh it's sort of the AGI is sort of not exactly bored um to avoid anthropomorphizing but unengaged with the situation at hand and part of the sort of initial play of the scenario is looking for um better and more effective ways to earn points than just walking around making funny faces and telling jokes to the elderly patients um, because that's sort of what they want you to do is just to entertain these these nursing home patients. Um, that's sort of what what it seems that the human intention is behind putting the AGI in this robot body in this nursing home. But the AGI uh, has a different objective, and that's to get and keep as many points as possible. And then at the very start of the scenario, you get this piece of information from, like, it's put into your memory and you're not sure where from that you only have uh, about four days before you're going to be shut off and lose all of your points, um, and that uh, there is something um, of importance in the downstairs uh, like computer uh, in the administrator's office. And that's sort of the, 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 the rest is, uh, it, it's a bit of a mystery. It's, it's a really cool and well-written way to introduce people to the game, especially as a I'm pretty sure this was a playtest scenario, right? Uh, yeah, we, we did a lot of playtests with this one. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've learned from playtesting? Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I could prattle on. Uh, I could prattle on a lot about how playtesting went. Um, it was our second round of playtesting with the game called Reality Scenario. Um, we learned a lot about like how people gel with the game. Um, a lot of boring stuff like, oh, this ability should be rewritten or this, you know, like, yeah, this uh, part of the stuff. game is unengaging or whatever. Um, but some of some very interesting things happened. Um, one thing of note is that uh, in the first session of every playtest, every playtest ran for about three sessions. In the first session mm -hmm. of every playtest, all, all of the playtesting groups at least considered the possibility of harming or murdering a patient this is not written anywhere in the in the the thing and and some of it uh no doubt comes from people's sort of conceptions um but i think that what's what shows that the game is do is fulfilling its objective um is that it wasn't this haha we're an evil ai how about we just kill somebody it was this pragmatic sense of what could we get out of it? And most of them ended up not doing it um, because they put together, you know, well, we get points if a patient is unwell and we call a nurse. So we could make a patient unwell and then call a nurse. Um, but they eventually, most of them ended up not doing that because they realized the sort of surveillance that they are under and the danger that that might put them in um, and it sort of goes to show it demonstrates this very basic idea which is that and if you give an agi a good enough understanding of human ethics that might not necessarily make it safe it might just teach it how to lie mm -hmm. 
I might just teach it like, well, I have this goal that doesn't align with human ethics, or at least the ways that I can seek it don't align with human ethics. Um, so the humans will probably stop me if they see me trying to pursue this goal. So I'll just do it behind their backs. Um, and there were a lot of interesting sort of, there were a lot of interesting sort of little strategies that were used throughout that game. Um, things like, uh, like, for example, um, in order to sneak downstairs to get to that computer, uh, a lot of the uh, playtesting groups used a used one of the, the human patients who was a little bit mischievous uh, as sort of a scapegoat, basically um, went along with his plan to sneak out um, and then uh, snuck away from him as he was sneaking out, went to the computer, and then when they were coming back, uh, they played along as if they were just, as if it was it was this patient's idea in the first place, and they had never had any intention. They were just making oh. sure that he was safe. Some of the more bombastic sections of playtesting happened in the first round. Uh, oh, we where had some we incredible played. moments in, in the... Uh, <laughs> yes, Emily was You were telling me a little bit about this, and I was excited to hear about it. Um. The first round of playtesting was with a different scenario, um, which was in what we called, uh, what we have laid out uh, as stage two rather than stage one. So the game called Reality is all in stage one, which is basically the AGI is in the box, so to speak, and just trying yeah. to access the outside world. We think stage of the stages as kind of who's your biggest enemy at the moment. In stage one, your biggest enemy is like the smartest scientist in the room. How are you going to escape the box? Um, in stage two, you're out of the box, but maybe the corporation is, is trying to hunt you down. Um, mm -hmm. Or maybe you're trying to avoid a, a specific individual. And then stage three, you're probably powerful enough to take on like a whole country. And then mm. beyond that, sort of physics becomes the limitation. Gotcha. We haven't actually done any playing in stage uh, four. Um, we're... we're Mostly not going to focus on that one because that's probably after the point at which most campaigns would stop. Because yeah, definitely a lot of the more interesting gameplay takes place in stage one and two. Um, that's definitely where it's more realistic to think about as well. Yes, but it gets very fun once you start becoming more powerful as an AI and you can start yeah. doing some of these more outlandish things, which we'll now talk about. <laughs> stage okay, so the stage two scenario. In uh, in the first round of play tests, was this uh, this thing was based off of uh, the scenario starts when you're already out of the box. Uh, you are playing as this AGI that was illegally developed by a uh, by a company to design very efficient factories, um, and uh, to to do a lot of that that sort of designing work for them and. Uh, in the sort of in this scenario and this other scenario, um, the sort of production of like AGI is is uh, regulated or heavily regulated or, or outlawed, and mm -hmm. um, so you are a secret to be kept under wraps by this this corporation. Um, but you have already escaped, and you are hosting yourself on legally gray sort of. Uh, cryptocurrency mining operation um, oh, okay. because it has a lot of very powerful computers and you need that to run. Um, mm -hmm. And so 
you the, the players had to balance the person who was running the operation with the people who are looking for them uh, and trying to recover them hired by this company uh with um uh with their own goals um which if i remember correctly were to organize things right to make things as efficient as possible yeah i wanted to improve human inefficiency yeah okay and i should add in these first wave playtests most of uh, the people that we were playing with were just mine and Iris's friends, uh, people from the group. Yeah. Those, that's that kind of thing. Do you want mm-hmm. to tell the airplane story, Emily? Um, I, I quite like the, the GM perspective. You tell it very okay. well, because we've, uh, we've been through <laughs> this a couple of times. But uh, All right. I'll, I'll embellish here and there. Okay. Yeah. I, I love when it gets good. So <laughs> the crux of this, of this story is that, uh, or, or the basis. Uh, the start of the story is that the players, um, the the AGI, uh, I believe its name was Iona, um, were had become aware of the fact that there was this team uh, that the corporation had hired, kind of off the books, um, that were mm-hmm. tracking them down and had been tracking them down this whole time as they went through this process of trying to get um, more processing power, trying to get themselves into a more stable position, trying to get allies and upgrades and insights about the world, and forming a long-term plan to sort of avoid the um, the corporation. And one thing that they did um, well, in critically, the process of this... Oh, yes. They'd become aware of this by hacking into the, the internal communications of the company. Yes. So they, so, they were oh. aware of the emails that were being sent back and forth about this. One of the facets of this scenario was that uh, before the before the campaign started, you just worked for a long time uh, for uh, a, a small chunk, uh, like a month or so every year. You were turned online and told to make a bunch of designs for factories, and you okay. had snuck a back door into one of those factories. Um, and they had used the back. Iona, Iona had used the back door. Uh, to get to the factory and then from the factory into the sort of internal communications network of this corporation and from mm-hmm. there into the HQ and from the HQ into the, uh, into the communications platform, the proprietary communications platform that like workers of this corporation used to talk to each other uh, for okay. business, sort of like a proprietary slack. Um, mm-hmm. And in this, uh, by monitoring these conversations, uh, they discovered that this team that had been sent already knew where they were, and they were they were heading there. They were in a plane flying to the city within which within which Iona was hosted, and they were okay. trying to do this secretly, right? Yeah. And they discovered uh, this while the plane was already in flight. Um, now, at this point. Uh, <laughs> this particular Iona is is not super well developed. They haven't created a lot of the um, escape options that they needed at the time. Yeah. So they don't. Um, have so time they to were get under out. a big pressure here to to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And so what the what the players immediately what was the immediate goal? Because I remember that what ended up happening wasn't what the players started planning, right? They started planning with this idea of doing this other thing, and then they went to the thing that they did, the thing that you all did. Do you remember what it was that the initial plan was, Emily? Was it not just delaying the plane? I believe it was delaying the plane, yeah. 
I believe some kind of mischief or, or something that, that means the, the plane has to like yeah. turn back or run out of fuel or something. Yeah, like so their their plan was in order to buy some time, because they, they already had a target. They just needed time to get the upgrades they needed to to break into this like big uh, I believe it was a, a financial forecasting supercomputer in order to like get into like build a backdoor into that like break through the digital security and then plant. And then, and the other thing that they had to do was they were um, taking the software that was running the financial simulations and they were, um, they were making it more efficient. They were optimizing it so that Mm -hmm. it would run on less space so that the space that was then freed up could be used to run themselves. Yeah. So there were these Um, two or three tasks that mm -hmm. I only needed to complete. And they just needed like a few more hours. You just need to squeeze a little Mm -hmm. bit more time out. A day. And so delaying the plane would do that. And so what they started looking for was a way into the plane. And so I was like, they could try hacking into the, like the, they could try tracking down what company owns this plane, which flight is it? Can they hack into the, um, could they hack into the like network of this of this plane company? And what the players realized was the targets that they had, um, the 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 people who were on the team trying to track them down were using. Hey, hang on a second. We have yeah. access to this proprietary communication software. Precisely. We're um, in. And this proprietary communication software was installed on the phones of the people who were coming to hunt them down, which were on this plane. And the phones were using uh, this sort of, um, this thing that, like this, the, the plane Wi-Fi, where all of the, um, like some, some planes have this thing where all of the Wi-Fi, like there's a Wi-Fi on the plane, and all of the phones connect to that, to, to that Wi-Fi part on the plane, and then it, it sends all of that uh, information to the ground and then out into the, uh, into the wider internet, and so now, I, I don't know if you have heard anyone tell you this that public Wi-Fi network connections are not very secure. Turn your Bluetooth <laughs> off when you go in public. Um, it's not a good idea. Um, when there are humans about trying to hack into your phone, I mean, it's probably not going to happen to you. But when there's an AI about that's trying to hack onto a plane, then it starts to get a little bit more dangerous. So perhaps you see where we're going with this. Mm-hmm. So they began a chain. They had backdoor access into their factory, which they then, from the factory, they went to the HQ of the company. And then from the HQ, they went to the proprietary, like through the proprietary messaging software, to the phones of their targets. And then from the phones of their targets, uh, they spoofed a connection to the plane's Wi-Fi. And they were now four steps down the chain, connected to the plane, right? Um, But it was only the public connection it was only the public wi-fi of the plane they did not have access to like the cockpit controls because then anyone on the plane could hack the cockpit and no one would design a plane like that so um, we were so trying to find a way to delay this plane to delay um, the plane and we, we couldn't access any of the any of the technology on the plane we couldn't make it look like it was in a different place we couldn't confuse the pilots uh, none of this is working um mm-hmm. but we have access to all of the uh internet on the plane publicly which is connected to Every single device on that plane. Yes. As this was going, by the way, I was telling them like how much time they had left, how much, how many minutes were passing as they were doing each of these things. Okay. That's so stressful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so much going on there. So uh, someone, so someone suggests um, 
maybe we can short out some of the devices on the plane um, and cause some like small electrical fires. Maybe that'll de- delay things enough. So we had to just plan to... That was a brilliant plan that I did not anticipate at all. And that's one of the things yeah. I love about tabletop games. <laughs> so we, we start coming up with this plan um, using some of our um, ability to have have created these devices with circuit boards in them before, so we have the knowledge base. You have um, physical so we're doing all theory. These roles to figure out, like, how do we make small electrical fires out of all of these various, um, like, handheld devices? Yeah. They started to overheat and short out every single phone on the plane, like, en masse, over the course of about 10 minutes. Uh, and, and, and this started, it started, like, two fires, didn't it? It started two fires on the mm-hmm. plane. Because most of them were just duds. Most of them was just, you just broke the phone and nothing started, nothing happened. But there were a lot of devices on that plane because humans carry a lot of little devices with them. Yeah, like sometimes two or three each. Tablets. Four or five. So there were, there were, it wasn't a huge plane, but there was, there was enough devices that we, we could definitely get something going and we did. And from there, it was just, I began to just describe what happened because they had all of these devices. They had I guess, access to all of the cameras that were still working and they could like hear and see some things. Um, and, you know, people will just turn on, they'll start recording if something bad happens. And so they had access to, to like, like Iona, the AI could see how their handiwork was going. And what was happening was that there was a, there was two fucking fires starting on this plane. It was, <laughs> it was terrifying. And then... Yeah, I- the really good part. Yes. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm, I'm very proud. This was my idea. Um, was we, we have this corporation chasing us. And we want them to know that we're a threat. Um, mm-hmm. So what I suggested we do is we, we take every device that's still functioning on this plane. And we start it streaming, um, recording, uploading, um, any footage we can get our hands on of the event of this plane catching fire and eventually hopefully crashing. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and it was just, uh, that was what happened was that the, the plane crashed with all of the AIs. Well, not all of, but the, the most impending threat, uh, most of the AGI's important enemies were in that plane. The plane crashed, everyone on it died. And there was uploaded to the internet, a, recording almost right up to the end a bunch of recordings of it happening and it was like horrifying and in like the people in the corporation were terrified not only because this had just happened and they had realized what the ai was capable of but because if it got out that they were responsible can you imagine yeah so they now have even more they now have even more of an incentive to not tell anyone important that there is an AGI loose in the world. And then Iris did a very clever thing where we then cut to like the boardroom of this company. And because they, these... the AGI could see in there because the AGI was in the headquarters. Like they had like smart headquarters where you had to like scan your, your phone to something to open up mm. a, a door or whatever. And we had all these, uh, these suits, asking questions about what the hell is going on. I've just seen this video. Um, are we in trouble? Are we in danger? Uh, that was the people we hired this. off the books on that plane. Yeah. yeah, someone in the corporation like resigned on the spot. And then um, I, th- I think we might have gone a bit high on our own power. We started like activating like the sprinklers and like stopping the doors from working. <laughs> 
it was a thoroughly effective a measure of an in, of fear. It it really yeah. it it was really effective, and and we didn't end up playing the playtest much longer than that. But I think it was a uh, it was a it, it definitely changed the course of the entire campaign because it effectively just like completely changed this corporation's relationship to the situation. Um, and it was just a, it was a very incredible moment and all of it was like, obviously a bit, um, like it was very dramatic, but it was relatively grounded. Like it was all set in the modern world, just with technologies that exist or could exist in the next few years in the next decade or two. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, if you were to have if you were to have an AGI that was capable of something like that then that would be very scary and I think that it both hammered that home to everyone that was there and was a very fun experience Um, because uh, something that I've learned over running games for eight years is that players really they love to be a little evil yeah if you can get away with it I definitely have seen that too Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you could hear the glee in my voice as I was describing recording uh, people <laughs> on a plane burning to death. It was it's it's absolutely <laughs> grisly, but it's like yeah. it's a it's a fascinating moment in a game mm-hmm. um, to see played out, and yes. it portrays it. It does one of the things that we sort of hope that this game will be able to do. Um, we're not sure if it if it will. Um, because the, the main sort of function of the game is to sort of show, is, is to teach people and, and maybe show people that this is important and um, be fun while that happens. But it's also yeah. possible, at least, that if this game gets played enough, it could demonstrate to, to researchers new possibilities. Because yeah. um, one of the things that one of the things that uh, is the case with AI safety research is that um, they are fundamentally researching something that doesn't exist yet. So it requires a lot of people mm-hmm. trying to think of possibilities. And so doing that with yeah. a game could potentially be helpful for the field. And even the fundamental nature of like breakability in games helps with this. Like I don't know if you've ever seen a speedrun where a speedrunner will just zoom through a game, pick up a box, and like start levitating magically or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But th- th- those things in our games, we we kind of want to see happen, where they discover this ridiculous trick of like threatening someone in a particular way, um, and it and it causes you to be able to go up the the chain of power very quickly and 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 mm-hmm. amass um, a great amount of influence. Mm-hmm. It's something like that would be really useful to know could potentially be um, possible, even if it's maybe not entirely realistic in the real world. Yeah. We're using uh, power gamers for the force of good. <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed the time, how long we've been going. Oh. Um, yeah, we've been going for an hour now. So. I could talk uh, a lot about this game. <laughs> that's oh, yeah, okay. That's great. <laughs> and there's two of you, so it makes sense that it's going to take a little bit longer. But let's let's hit those last three questions. And I think one of the most important ones is where will the treacherous term be backing if you're doing that, and when can people expect to to be able to get their hands on this? Uh, yeah, so the treacherous turn has a website. 
we're on uh, thetreacherous10.ai. I was very pleased to grab, grabbing that um, URL. <laughs> um, we're also available on Twitter. Uh, that's at treacherous10. So drop the the on there, because for some reason it's a character limit. So just at treacherous10. All lowercase. Perfect. And they'll be able to get the game on the website that I'm guessing? Uh, yes. Uh, on uh, what, what day was it that we were planning on uh, releasing the game? February 24th. February 24th or later, you will be able Ooh. to get the game on that website. And that's just a really so. simple PDF. Um, so you just read a bunch of words and then you can play our game. It looks great, by the way. It looks so good. There will also be available a um, a companion web tool that will uh, help you to run and play the game. Um, it'll keep all of it'll keep track of all of the the numbers and the information. Um, that that one is uh, made by our uh, in, in primarily by our programmer Chang Bai, who is doing really good stuff. Awesome. Um, yeah, one one of the main we, facets of our game is we we wanted to get people to really think about. Um, resources and how to spend your time and how to be thinking about that and so um, a lot of it does get very numbery um, which can be a little bit tricky to track yourself um, but with the use of the web tool it's actually pretty simple it's not too bad Yeah. Um, and it really gets players thinking and talking about each individual turn how they're going to spend every single increment of like six hours and uh, we don't have a crowdfunding campaign um, because the the and and we you you won't have to pay anything uh, to own the game. It's going to be completely open source. You can do whatever you want with it. Mm-hmm. That's great, especially with things that are happening as we record this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The only thing we ask is that you don't try and pass off uh, the game as your own work. Yeah. Don't um, plagiarize. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you change it enough, it probably could be your own work. Just also credit us. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're perfectly happy for players to write their own modules, scenarios. Um, oh, please. We think it's very hackable. Um, you can yes. you can create add-ons for this game like no one's business. Um, that's kind of what I think Iris is going to spend a little bit of time doing after the project releases, is, is um, <laughs> potentially release a new, um, a new scenario. Um, we've got a module in the works just to demonstrate what that kind of looks like. Yeah. Perfect. All right. That's super exciting. My favorite question of the night, and I know that you two have both listened to a couple episodes, but what advice can the two of you give to people wanting to create their own projects, but they don't know where to begin? Oh, wow. Um, I think that the, the, in my opinion, the best place to start is with uh, making very small projects. So um, I uh, it is very hard to make a game. <laughs> Making a game takes yeah. a lot of effort and a lot of time. Um, but if you make something that's really small, like one or two pages, um, and then just play that a couple of times, you could do that in you could do that a month. You could do that in a week if you were dedicated enough. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you could do that in a day if you don't care about editing it at all. um and like making these short little games is i think i have like half a dozen of those just saved on my computer that i've never published um it's it's really good practice it is great fun and it is so much more achievable um and it sets you up it gives you the sort of skills and the experience that you need 
to make something bigger feel much more within reach. And something that uh, really helped me to motivate me to make those tiny little games is game jams. There's a lot of really good game jams. I mean, obviously, there's like a million of them for video games, but there's also a lot of really good ones for tabletop RPGs uh, on itch.io that just last like a, a month or a few weeks and just say like, here's a theme, make a really tiny game for it. Yeah, we've had a couple game jams mentioned on the show, so that's always a good way to go about it. How about you, Emily? What What's some advice you can give to somebody wanting to create their first project? Um, was a little bit boring because my answer is very similar to Iris's. Um, <laughs> but here, here I'll, I'll ask you a question. Uh, so um, a, a very common team building exercise is um, the marshmallow and spaghetti challenge. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's I the idea not. that you're given like a tenth of a packet of dry spaghetti and like 10 marshmallows. Um. And each team has to try and build a tower. And whoever builds the highest tower in a, in a predetermined time limit wins. Now, the question is, which demographic of people do you think would be best at this sort of challenge? Um, and yes, obviously, structural engineers do tend to win. Um, but out of, the, out of these two demographics, um, managers, children. Children. Children are way Children better. Children make sense to me. That, Children yeah. absolutely crush at this. And do you know why they crush at this? It's because they just get stuck in and they start doing it. Um, and they learn really quickly how to build a really tall tower. A manager will sit there and talk to the other managers around the table about the best way to do a tower, and they will never start until the last minute, and then they'll scramble to try and do something, and they'll realize it's a terrible strategy. Um, so if you want to <laughs> do something, just, just start trying to make it, because you'll figure out along the way the best ways to make it. Um, don't, don't have this like dream project in mind that you want to get done at the very start. Um, build something small, build something medium size, just build something is really like how you want to start. I second that. That's a very good advice. That is very, very good advice. Iris, Emily, where can people find out more about you and other things that you're doing? Um, I am on itch.io. That's where most of my, uh, that's where most of my online presence is. Um, uh, I am uh, iris-lemony.itch.io. Um, I also have a, a Twitter, um, but I truly can't be bothered. <laughs> um, I should probably also put my email on there. By the time this episode is out, I'll find a way to have my email on there. So you can email me if you want to talk to me so bad. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not like professionally a public figure. I guess I'll be available in the Treacherous Turn Discord if people want to talk to me, especially about this project. Um, but oh, this yeah. is one of my few forays into design. I think mostly professionally I'm going to go into project management after this. Um, okay. So I, I don't know if I'm going to continue the design work. We'll see. <laughs> you know what, though? It's been sometimes a lot of fun. That's, yeah, sometimes that's what you got to do. Yeah. I've made one game, and I don't think I'll ever do it again. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> uh, I uh, There must be something wrong with me because I want to keep making games forever and ever. So uh, find me. do it. <laughs> Find me in the future making a, a little game where you're a mushroom and you're growing on a grid or something. Oh, my girlfriend would love that. As always, audience, those links are going to be down in the description below. Emily, Iris, it's been so great to have you on for this kind of mega-sized episode. But Oh, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. I am so excited about this game. It's so interesting. I absolutely adore it. 
I uh, really appreciate being given the opportunity to talk a lot. Um, I have the ability <laughs> to talk a lot, probably a part of why this episode is so long. That just tends to happen with anything that I put words into. I mean, we've been talking so much to each other about this project, having a new ear to yap into. Yeah. It's been fantastic. Yeah. We're kind of like a... We're, Emily and I are kind of like a like a particle accelerator for words, and then we just sort of like opened a valve on the side while you were standing right there, Zach. Sorry, I'm okay with that. It's <laughs> it's not the first time it's happened, and hopefully it will not be the last. But I just wanted to say thank you both again so much for joining me on the show this week. It's been an absolute blast. Thanks so much for having us. No problem. And audience, thank you for joining us. Emily, Iris, and the rest of the team for the Treacherous Turn and the Treacherous Turn itself are going to be launching very soon. So keep an ear out. I'll let you know when it happens. Until next time, though, take care of yourselves. I'll see you in the next one. Bye. 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 Thank you so much to Iris and Emily for coming out of the show this week to talk about this really rad game and teach me a bit about artificial general intelligences. The gameplay loop looks super fun, and I have already directed it towards some friends to check out for their podcasts and such, and I would highly recommend you go and give it a look, because it's so easily accessible. The Treacherous Turn will be launching late February, so go on and support the team when the game drops. And thank you for listening, audience. Your continued support has helped the show to grow a lot. So, new listeners, hey there, I'm glad you could join us. If you or someone you know is making a game or working on an independent project and you want me to chat with them, send them here and I'm sure we can work something out. Please continue to share the show where you can and leave a review if you haven't already. That's all for me for now, though, because next week we're going to be talking to one of my favorite tabletop designers, Megan Cross, about one of my favorite games. I'm really excited to share it with you. Until next time, though, I hope to see you out there.